Hi, my name is Joachim Westland, CEO of Shortcut Labs. You're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy, sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp, and I like to keep this uh podcast real and authentic and try and meet some of the most creative people that can help us in our businesses. So if you are listening to this and you are aspiring to be an entrepreneur, you know, if you want to get into the startup world or get creative, then uh, I think this is going to be a great episode for you because we are going to be chatting to uh, a lady called Jen Clark. Her name's Jen Clark. And actually, this is something you should be doing right now to visit uh, and to know about Jen. You just go to jenniferclark.co, jenniferclark.co. If you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't got your own domain name, then maybe it's about time to start. And uh, she is the founder of Docent Labs and uh, she's a digital strategist and she's going to talk to us about some interesting apps, some, uh, some of her creative work, her journey and her views on life. And uh, it's going to be a great episode. So Jen Clark, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. I mean, uh, I was trying to kind of encapsulate in that intro about you. Perhaps you can just, in the, the first few minutes, tell us, you know, how you ended up in di- di- as a digital strategist and uh, what that actually entails. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so I have a really strange journey, as it turns out. I uh, started my career as an artist. I was a printmaker and uh, went to school for that. And then I taught art um, in England. And I went back to grad school for arts management, but the program I was in was really quantitatively rigorous. So what happens is everybody in my program ends up becoming a consultant almost. Um, So I did management consulting for a number of years, and that is what led me to digital strategy, um, which is sort of like management consulting, but in the digital space. So I help uh, everyone from startups to large companies sort of define what they should be doing in different channels. And what they can build. So it's a mix of like product and consulting. Yeah, because any, any, there's a lot of people listening to this that are still in college or university and, you know, they have those career choices uh, ahead of them to either get into, I guess management consulting is one of the big career choices for people that's obviously well paid. Well, what advice would you have for anyone who's contemplating get, getting into a management consultant versus uh, doing their own thing? Oh, you know, the difference, I I mean, I love doing uh, both. I actually, um, I would say study, you know, obviously get your um, math skills up and your speaking skills, because there is a lot of that, surprisingly. There's a lot of opportunity to use numbers. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm actually, uh, I've got a slight insight in that my wife uh, works for a management consultancy firm as well. And I think what I'm seeing, you know, through her eyes is like this whole explosion of uh, digital. Are you, what, what are you seeing in the space from, you know, that perspective of, of a management consultancy? Well, for sure. Um, all of the big, um, I, I don't know if we have the same big ones here in the UK and the US, but so your McKinsey's and your Accenture's, they're all sort of buying up little agencies so that they can expand their digital skills. Um, because they're has been a disconnect in the past between what management consultants do and what agencies do. In agencies, it's more about the creative, and in the consulting, it's more about aligning the people and processes. And, um, you know, with the rate of change in digital, you know, things move much faster. It sort of makes more sense for them to combine forces early on rather than later, rather than when they get to the client, which is the normal. um, I've got a really tough one for you, because uh, when I first met a friend of mine now who... uh, it was, it was several years ago, uh, he told me he was a digital strategist. 
And it's still very hard to explain what that means. Are you, you know, if you passed the layperson in the street and try to explain digital strategy to them, what, <laughs> how, how would you explain it? I, I usually just say I, they, I, I go on and on about aligning share, stakeholders and all the sort of um, industry jargon. And they're like, OK, so you work with computers. Yeah, because is there a, um, you know, t- a terminology for a digital strategy? Is, it's, um, you know, what, what do you see it as? Well, it means a lot of different things, uh, to your point. And so for a lot of people, it means uh, their social media channels. It's really what people immediately think of. Uh, when they think of digital strategy, but it, it really is much more than that. It's really about focusing on the core customer um, of whatever the business is and how they're going to interact with tools online um, and how you're going to reach them in, in what is still a relatively new channel, right? It's, um, what, 10 years old since Facebook's 10 years old. A lot of the apps that we use every day are less than 10 years old. Yeah, it is hard to remember the fact that there was life before Facebook and uh, iPhones and all this sort of stuff that we're used to now. I mean, we've, we've gone so far so quickly, but uh, I guess we've got a long way to go uh, because I, I sometimes try to think back to, not that I was around then, but the, I can imagine the start of TV and and how it was just a very slow, gradual process of uh, integration. Uh, and it's taken us a long time. And, and But with the digital and with uh, iPhones and smartphones and the, the whole kind of online space, I mean, that, that's just been massively growing. You know, And it's hard to kind of step away from it and see it from the average person's viewpoint. Well, yeah, and I think it's we sort of don't have an appreciation because it did happen so so quickly and seamlessly that mobile especially has... It's just become woven into the fabric of our lives. And part of that, I think, personally, is because of the intimacy you're able to have with your device, which is a, a weird word to choose. But really, like, your phone is always with you. Like, I sleep with my phone next to me. You know what I mean? It's never not with me. And that has given brands and companies the opportunity to reach you all the time, which can, is both good and bad. Yeah. And so in, just switching gears then to apps. And I know that in the pre-chat you were talking about uh, some health app that you're getting involved with now. Perhaps you can just flesh that out a little bit more for us so that we can learn from you and, and what you're doing and, and uh, how, how we can learn from, you know, the successes and failures you're having with that kind of pr- process of building an app. Oh, yeah. Apps are, apps are fantastic. And, you know, one of my major challenges is that I um, sort of understand design uh, being an artist, but I'm not a programmer, and so it's really been a challenge to find a programmer that I like working with and to, to help build the app. Um, that's around about saying a way of saying that we're building um, a reproductive health app, and so we're not trying to help people get pregnant, which is what a lot of the apps out there are doing now. We're trying to help young people who are notoriously not engaged with their health be more mindful of their um, sexual and reproductive behaviors, which is kind of fun. It's a fun problem to be tackling. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you actually start off with that? I mean, I guess you identified it as a problem. And then how are you tackling uh, that, you know, through an app? Oh, really? So it's a lot of leveraging data visualization um, and sort of the whole quantified self movement. And so helping people understand what they, what they do and what their behaviors are, especially young women um, who notoriously don't feel empowered. So it's like tracking their menstrual cycle and... Um, I don't know if we can say that. I guess I guess I can say that. Oh yes, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love to have an exclusive here, you know. Given, uh, uh, but uh, you know, because um, 
it's actually interesting you know this comes on the back of a recent guest who talked about uh, journaling on an app and said one of the hardest things uh, that they find at the moment uh, with journal type apps and you know apps that actually change your habit uh, are getting people to uh, really stick with the app and uh, to to, you know open the app and 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 do what it needs uh, every day how are you overcoming that kind of um, that drop off with uh, people using it then just kind of neglecting it after a few weeks of uh, initial enthusiasm Oh, well, th- yeah, that's a, a common problem in um, a lot of apps. So our app isn't actually built yet. We're sort of in the design phase. Um, but what I would recommend for my clients is to, it's really about relevancy to the uh, people's lives and to not be too rigid in what you actually expect people to do. Um, even if you even think about the social networks with the highest usership, a lot of people are more passive and just in looking. So if you can make information readily available to them and integrate it into other parts of their lives that is um, pretty much the way to go that's 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 great advice what you're saying then is to uh, make it easy for people to get that information yeah no absolutely and so the push notifications don't always work i feel like they're they're more of a nuisance it's like oh time to update your app and it's like well i'm probably in the middle of something um so it's not wise to interrupt people because they get turned off very quickly um, one thing you can do is start to contextualize things. And so very early in the morning or very late at night. So whatever that person's schedule is, that's when they're more likely to do a journaling type activity. Um, so those are, those are a few tips. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, and, uh, you know, there's, there's two things we like to do on this show. I might as well get them in now because I think that this, this could actually get quite interesting. That, that one is that we love to flesh out new app ideas from you. Uh, either ask you just outright if you have any new app ideas that uh, you thought about that you can share with uh, the apps to tribe listening because we as many of us who actually can build apps and we love new app ideas uh, so uh, I, can, I can ask you outright and if you, you have an idea great if you don't we've got another way of uh, getting an idea out of you oh my biggest problem yeah well I, i'd like to do that too but i think my biggest problem is i have too many ideas so i think wearable credit cards like wearables are huge um and with the whole payment movement like you could make like a ring or a bracelet, like a stylish piece of jewelry that people could wear, like better than like a Fitbit or something, because I feel like they're a little, ugh, I actually love the way they look. Um, yeah, that people could wear. I think that could be an opportunity um, and just have it integrated with the past, like, you know, with the Apple um, Pay or Google Wallet. Um, so so what you're saying on that then is um, to have more, what, jewelry-based or wearable-based uh, stuff uh, that, that would integrate with your phone? Yeah, absolutely. I like wearables. I mean, I think part of it is, again, to your point with the relevancy, like people actually stop using their Fitbit after about six months. Um, just because it's, you know, but if it was like an actual piece of jewelry that people wanted to wear, that's, you know, a different relationship than than with like a Fitbit, you know? What, what about, okay, so this is just totally exploring because we love to try and be creative on this show and uh, flesh out new ideas. So uh, I haven't really given this much thought before, but that we do wear a lot of stuff on our, our body. And uh, are you saying that potentially then we could find interesting ways of taking some of the the, the jewellery that we wear, uh, large earrings or whatever it may be, and uh, have technology inbuilt within it uh, to to do stuff like so for example i'm thinking of a recent chat we had on this show with uh, with the, the founder of flick uh, and it's a press one button that you wear and it will do one thing on your phone just the one thing but it will do it just at the press of a button and i can imagine that that can be put anywhere on you 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I love that kind of stuff. Like the single use device, right? And and part of it, the only reason your phone is really useful is because the internet is connected to it. And you take something like an alarm clock that also um, is a flashlight. I mean, it's, it's not useful to you if it does too many things, right? Like, um, not in the way you know your phone does. So I think a jewel, a piece of jewelry that does one thing is awesome and a great idea. Uh, also, uh, also, I'm thinking like you know you you lose jewelry quite a lot, and if there was some way of tracking it, you know, with your phone. Uh, we've got Find My iPhone, which is obviously a great tool, a great uh, app. And uh, then, you know, if we had some way of tracking uh, the, the bits and pieces that we wear on our, our body, that would be pretty good. <laughs> that would be good for earrings. I don't know. Is technology like small enough for that yet? I don't even know if it's if we're quite. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's obviously maybe futuristic, but uh, it, that uh, and again, there's not not a lot of progress with, uh, I guess, integration with clothes. And, uh, you know, having Bluetooth uh, jackets and, uh, you know, the, the perhaps the, the, I don't know, integration within the clothes that we wear. Oh, yeah, for sure. And especially where cameras are concerned, too. That's another, I think, space um, that could use some attention, like these wearable cameras. And something that's not invasive, to your point, something that turns off on and off with your permission. I mean, like the biggest grievance I have with someone with it's like these things that turn on and record every two minutes like who wants that like I don't want <laughs> yeah especially well I mean that's one way of putting off someone from uh you know having a, a negative sexual exploits isn't it to have a hidden camera on their on their body <laughs> <laughs> this camera will turn on every two minutes so whatever. and actually well let's think about young people because we've all been young well I've certainly a very very long time ago I was young and uh you know, at the end of the day, uh, there there's a certain amount of privacy you, that you expect. And obviously, you know, for my time, I, I was no way expecting, you know, hidden cameras and devices that could record, you know, the activity that you're having with that person. But nowadays, I can imagine that, you know, it's going to be quite easy. There's these uh, apps that you can use that uh, don't display the camera. It's all, it darkens the phone, but the camera's still recording. Uh, you can record the audio. You know, how do we know that we're actually private when we're having an intimate moment with uh, somebody? Oh, I don't think um, I don't think you can anymore. Really, it's actually kind of terrifying. Which is a part of the pushback with Google Glass, which I do love as an idea. But um, that especially, like this sort of voyeurism, like if you observe something, your glass is also observing it um, in the bedroom, or if you look out the window and you happen to look into your neighbor's room accidentally, it's already automatically recorded that sometimes. So there's like no taking it back. Yeah, have you thought any more about that privacy kind of thing? Because that, that, I mean, I guess social habits are changing, and uh, you know, principles are changing. We're becoming a little bit more used to uh, being more open. But we we've had this chat recently, actually, on a, a guest uh, that was on a few episodes ago. That, that uh, she had invented this app that would uh, take us back to the disposable camera time. So that would would actually uh, you would take a photo with it and then it would disappear. You wouldn't be able to get access to it, and uh, you could only get it two weeks uh, after the event, and it would be sent to you physically. Oh, I love that. Actually, I do. I mean, it, it's. Um, I think privacy. Oh, that's a, there were a couple questions in there, um, and so yeah, I do think privacy is dwindling. I don't think it's all lost. I, I'm, as much as I love apps in the digital space, I'm more on the Wordsworth spectrum. It's like the world is too much with us. And I think we do need um, quiet places that aren't accessible uh, by technology. Um, but to your other point is the instant gratification. I think it's kind of fun that um, to anticipate something. And I think we don't necessarily get enough of that when you're in the digital, digital world. Everybody wants 
everything when they want it on their terms anywhere, anytime, which is great for things like your airline tickets, right? Because if you're looking for them, you probably really need them at that moment. Um, but, but, you know, not necessarily necessary for stuff like pictures and um, communications. And I think anonymity is back. Like you're seeing this huge move with apps like Whisper and with um, Snapchat, right, which really led the way where people do want some degree of privacy and to forget what is constantly recorded. Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, we talk about social media, and uh, I know that I'm using a new app at the moment called Tiny T I I N Y from uh, Kevin Rose, uh, who's the uh, founder of Dig, and and he's actually getting the uh, little mini videos and pictures to delete after 24 hours. And actually, if you look at uh, look at my social media charts, then you know, especially Instagram, there's a big tail off within uh, 12 to 24 hours of the actual thing being posted, which then begs the question, why does it stay there? It only stays there potentially to harm you if you've done yeah. something that, you know, you did, you wanted to regret. And, and of course, we both have, we have these dual lives, don't we? Corporate, uh, especially in management consulting, and uh, then our private lives. And, and sometimes those best are not, not to mix. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, compartmental. Yeah, we don't really have the opportunity to compartmentalize anymore. It all sort of like um, melts together. I always um, think of this like nightmare future. It's weird that I'm so pessimistic. I'm actually really optimistic. But growing up in the 80s with stuff like Terminator, there's going to be like one universal social network when they all buy each other. Uh, yeah, because I did yeah. actually see that you are a Doctor Who fan. And I have to admit that uh, our my second guest ever on this show, if anyone is listening and they haven't listened to it, episode two is with Jack Netting, my second guest. And he's a big Doctor Who fan as well. And uh, at least that's a little bit more, um, I get, well, is it optimistic? I mean, with the reg- the current Doctor Who, it's not that optimistic at the moment, is it? Yeah, no, quality is pretty dark. I mean, actually, I'm not all caught up on those episodes, but it did go to quite a dark place at the end of season. So I do love it, though. That's yeah. Cool. So, so you're you're optimistic about the future. Okay. Well, the other thing we've got to do before we say goodbye is uh, talk about your uh, favorite apps, one or two that perhaps you can talk about that are on your phone. Uh, I know that you've got your phone within arm's reach. Uh, you you sleep with it. It must be next to you somewhere. So, <laughs> are you yeah. able to pull it up and and go through and just have one or two uh, apps that you can mention? Maybe maybe uh, one or two that you think we possibly not not come across so far. Oh, for sure. I'm uh actually there's one that's coming out now it's still in development um i went to this tech meetup and it's called fly and it's a video recording app that lets you do a lot of things that are pretty advanced like slice video together and fades um and it's really super cool um i i I use the roku app a lot (laughs) all right okay that's the uh tv devices and i don't think um i i've uh, seen that but uh, it's the the digital tv box set yeah, but yeah, you're always losing your remote, and this like lets you have the remote with you all the time. Um, and then, of course, there is Space Team, which is a fun game. Um, it's a game that you can play, and basically, um, it's like start. It's you shout out space words, fake words, and imagine that you're playing Star Trek or something like that. It's like a, a weird live action role playing game between friends, but it's it's so fun. A lot of fun. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, uh, I do have one of my claim to fames is uh, I did actually create an app called Rizzler Head, where you stick your phone up to your head and you uh, have to guess the uh, celebrity on the on the on your head uh, without um, uh, naming it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if you've come across that game, but uh, fun games. That's really good fun with uh, with apps, especially with the interconnectedness of apps. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and twenty, I play twenty forty eight every morning. And RDO, I'm actually pro. I like Spotify, but I, I prefer RDO as it turns out. Right. Okay. Well, uh, to the Appster tribe listening to this, then they just go to theappguy.co and search for episode one eight four of the series, and then we'll get links to those. Uh, if they haven't come out yet, then there'll be a, a link to where it's going to come out. I'm guessing uh, for the Fly app and uh, and Space Team is already out. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Uh, terrific is you know is there anything we've missed that you feel like the audience should have been aware of you know from your experience i mean remember we're talking to people that are uh you know in two minds of whether to you know what what route to take whether to start working for a startup whether to go into management consulting what what would you you know kind of uh final words of wisdom from you there jen i said there's always room to pursue your dreams i was um actually very unhappy i lived in Pittsburgh for a number of years, which is a wonderful city, but I didn't like the firm um, I was working for. And so to use a management consulting term, don't be afraid of the pivot. So if you need to change direction, you know, you do do what's best for you. You know, obviously mindful of your responsibilities. Um, but I took a lot of risks in my career. Like being an artist, it was it's really hard to go into consulting and to have people take you seriously. But I think you just have to have faith in your own abilities and, um, you know, where you want to go. And we're still yeah. trying. What, what risk did you take then? Uh, well, I think, well, one, it's leaving. I moved to, to England with nothing. So I worked for a startup in England and it didn't work out. Um, this time last year, I was living there briefly in the Cotswolds. Um, and I don't have any children or anything like that. So it was, you know, a little easier. Um, but it, it was a big leap of faith and it didn't work out. I only worked for six months and then I had to come home. But after that, I got a great job in New York that I love, and um, I'm just really grateful. Um, yeah, so- yeah. So the, the the risk then you had is to leave a, a paying job to go and work for a startup that was uh, abroad for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, and part of it too is like you know you, the worst thing that can happen is that you fail, and if that happens, you know what, life goes on. And I learned that, and it's sometimes much better for having for having failed at something, which. I never had to that point too. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know, I, I'm actually thinking back to my career as well, and it's hard to pinpoint uh, parts where I failed. Maybe I failed on you know to get a promotion one year, or but there's we all, we never really express our failures at work, do we? Because no. you know, there's kind of this uh, peer pressure to always uh, show a good face and be the be the best you can for your boss, and and so there was never really any failure at work. And and so it was only until you start working for yourself. And then my first company, you know, just totally blew up and uh, I lost a lot of my savings. And then you realize that uh, that's failure. Because <laughs> of course, you can't lose your salary, can you really, unless you get fired? Yeah, no, but yeah, it's, I like to think of a startup in general as a safe place for bad ideas, because you whether micro or macro, it's the kind of environment where you will constantly fail, like, you know, make a feature or produce something that users don't necessarily want. And below the that might not make the company fail altogether. That is a, a micro failure. And I think acknowledging that is absolutely necessary in the digital space in a way that it's not in a regular corporation, right? That it can absorb uh, those kind of mistakes. Um, because if you don't acknowledge it and change, like you'll, you'll lose in a way that, you know, working for, let's say a cable company, which has almost a monopoly, like if they produce something people don't want, that doesn't matter because they're so big, you know? Yeah, I was going to say that because, again, like to, I want to appeal to the people, uh, Appster Tribe listening to this right now in that if you work for a startup or if you work for yourself, the, the odds 
that you will fail very, very high. And in fact, the whole world is pretty much against you because of the way we we move towards monopolies. And uh, look how many you know firms like Apple and Google and Yahoo and all, you know they're they're great if you, they want to buy your company. And and you you've actually mentioned that you know Accenture and McKinsey buying out small agencies. But if they don't want to buy you, they will trample all over you if you've got a good idea. And, uh, you know, so the odds are against you. And also, I guess it's really hard for user acquisition if you're just basically unknown. So you might have a great idea, but uh, the world doesn't know about it. And, uh, you know, you're just a small voice and uh, you have to grow organically, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it really is about, you know, you have to be resilient. You have to pound the pavement. Um, I have a friend who was featured on the cover of the New York Times, you know, and that was a huge win. But it's not over after that. You still have to just keep keep at it. and. Um, so there's ups, you know, strike. I'm a big, big Lebowski fan as well. So it's like, you know, ups and downs, strikes and gutters. You just have to get used to that lifestyle. <laughs> and, and how easier is it living in New York? Uh, for me, it's easier. So before living in New York, I mean, it's not easier than any big city. It's easy just because you have this cross pollination of ideas. It's so easy to get to conferences, to get to places where people um, are in the same space as you. So I do prefer it. But if you're not living in a big city, use digital to your advantage. You know what I mean? I mean, we're talking from across the ocean, from London to uh, New York. And so you have to use the tools that are already out um, to your advantage to connect to people. Um, Yeah, that's my big uh, excitement about the future is having a little bit more physical presence uh, with this telepresence kind of thing that we've got going. And uh, I know that there's been uh, initial leaps of uh, innovation with uh, robots that move around the room and show your face and, uh, you know, you can control them with your phone. But uh, there needs to be, I think, a real leap towards uh, more physical telepresence. Do you feel like that? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And and you even see now a move where like um, Birchbox and Amazon are starting to have brick and mortar stores because I think in the fervor of like, uh, the whole like let's build digital things we forgot it's really about connecting people and people exist in the physical world still um so i think in the future these sort of projection screens that we see in science fiction where you can project something in the middle of the room i think that is where we'll we'll go in the in this far out sci-fi future that's what i see yes and if you're it. if you're sitting on that idea now listening to this please get in touch we'd love to test it out <laughs> yeah no <laughs> great well uh jen I, I mean you've inspired me just listening to you has been uh, a joy and how best can people reach out and connect with you if they've also been inspired with the show oh i, I i'd love to uh, get in touch so you can find me at jen at docent.co j-e-n at sign d-o-c-e-n-t dot c-o um, and on my website www dot jennifer clark with an e c-l-a-r-k-e um, at uh, dot dot co great wonderful well thanks for uh, joining us and uh, all the best with your digital strategy future and uh, and you may want to start watching some more of those Doctor Who's and uh, it does get better believe me <laughs> and uh, yeah thanks for joining us on the App Guide podcast it's been a real pleasure Yeah, please stay in touch. It was so great talking to you. Okay.